entered the Paracast with your hosts, Gene Steinberg and David Pietri. You know, we don't discuss the mechanics of the show very much, but as most of you know... They don't care. They don't don't care. They're like, just give us the paranormal stuff. We don't care how it happens. American audiences, you know, I don't want to assume that we just have American people listening, but uh, people, for the most part, they don't care how the show's done. They just want the content, man. Even the NSA, they especially want the content. They're listening to every word. Well... We taped things in advance, and we recorded an interview for tonight's show with Kenneth Thomas, the power, politics, or conspiracy theory expert. We have never had more aggravation. It was bad, right? That was just terrible. Well, every so often he would say, I can't hear you. Would you repeat that? And we lose the connection. We have to re-access the connection. And the way we did it is we're using peer-to-peer network software called Skype. And then we use a standard dial-up connection from Skype. This is complicated, folks, to call a person on a regular telephone. And this usually works beautifully. Nine times out of ten. Usually. 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 But this time, every seven or eight minutes, we had to stop. We had to push the pause mm-hmm. control, reestablish a connection. And one time, David sounded like he had fries in his mouth. Well, and, and then there was the Skype just quitting on both of our machines without any kind of a message, without any kind of a warning. Skype just dumping out. It's never happened to me before, Gene. I mean, on any program on, on Mac OS X, which you and I are both running, if a program quits, you get a little message dialogue saying that there was an unexpected error. The program dumped out. And uh, God bless the protected memory in OS X. But this didn't happen. My, my Skype dumped out. There was no message. It's almost like somebody did a remote quit. It was really weird. I've never seen that before at all. Well, That's what happened on this end. It was we're going strange. to wonder now what might happen when this show is aired. And we'll find out. Kenneth Thomas, he's the publisher of Steam Shovel Press. He's into parapolitics. What's that? You'll find out next. Maybe, maybe, on the Paracast. I have a feeling we're not in Kansas anymore. You are about to enter another dimension. A dimension not only of sight and sound, but of mind. A journey into a sinister land of secret rites, passwords, initiations, and handshakes, where the truth remains hidden and history is controlled by an elite group of mysterious men. Imagine, if you will, that I'm holding a book in my hands that explains this secret history and that the name of this book is Conspiracies and Secret Societies, The Complete Dossier. Here is described centuries of dark dealing, lies, murder, mayhem, and cover-ups in the pursuit of unimaginable money and power. My name is Brad Steiger, and the stories you are about to read may have actually happened at the signpost up ahead. Your next stop, Conspiracies and Secret Societies, The Complete Dossier. You're in the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Bandy. You never know what's going to happen next. This is Tim Beckley, Mr. UFO, reporting for ConspiracyJournal.com. 
fascinated by the strange and unknown, things that go bump in the night, UFOs, time travel, Area 51, the Philadelphia Experiment, shady government cover-ups? Don't be left out in the lunar cold. Sign up now for our weekly online newsletter and receive our snail mail catalogs. Go to conspiracyjournal.com or email Tim Beckley at mrufo at webtv.net. It's all out of this world. So Ken Thomas, just the other day, a friend of yours, Sherman Skolnick, died, and he has some sort of association or relationship to the world of conspiracies. Could you briefly explain? Oh, my God. Sherman Skolnick was the, one of the gods of conspiracy research. He was, uh, he was like Mae Russell or, or anybody else who does this kind of work, uh, an extremely well-known figure. Uh, it's hard to know where to begin in listing the kinds of things he did. He, for instance, he gave the testimony before the National uh, Transportation Safety Board that basically established that the famous uh, plane crash in Midway in Chicago in 73 had E. Howard Hunt's wife on it. But that's almost like the least of what, what Sherman has done. Uh, he's, he's a very, very well-known figure. Began back in 63. Uh, when uh, some corrupt judges in Illinois swindled his family out of their um, out of their fortune, and, and he fought back. Uh, Sherman was Sherman was an invalid. He was in a wheelchair his entire life, and uh, uh, after all this happened to his family, he really pushed uh, to try to clean up the courts in Illinois, and he really did a, a, a magnificent job. There's actually a book written on this called Illinois Justice, and uh, his uh, the person that handled his case was John Paul Stevens, who sits on the Supreme Court, the U.S. Supreme Court, and has said you know time and again that when he considers these impoperous cases. T-A-U-P-E-R-I-S. He always considers his experience with Sherman Skolnick. Those are cases where, you know, the poor and indigent bring uh, cases to the court without legal counsel and that kind of thing. So uh, Sherman shaped the law in that way. And he, uh, he, for years, he'd been doing something called the Citizens Committee to Clean Up the Courts out of Chicago. And uh, there, through there, passed a lot of the information about the Inflaw scandal that was very important in my book, about all kinds of conspiracy information, you know. I mean, he was really, you know, a role model for the kinds of things that people do in the conspiracy world. I really, you know, I really admired him a great deal, and it's a, it's a tremendous loss, that, you know, his passing. Hmm. There was one... Uh group of episodes, a particular part of his life, where he had some peripheral connection to the Kennedy assassination investigations? In what fashion? Yeah, uh, well, I'll tell you, uh, what, I ju- what has just been put up at steamshovelpress.com, which is my website, is an interview I conducted with uh, Sherman 12 years ago in which we go into detail about the, you know, there was an assassination attempt against uh, JFK in Chicago, and that all involved a black FBI agent named Abraham Bolden. So all the details about that are in this this rather, you know, rather lengthy interview that we just put up in, in honor of Sherman Skolman. Could you summarize the aspect that covers the Kennedy assassination? We're talking about a conspiracy in Chicago. Is this related to his eventual assassination in Dallas? Uh, yes. Well, Sherman's view was that, you know, it was, a, it was a coordinated thing. They were going to get Kennedy one way or another. If the plot in uh, Miami didn't work, the one in Chicago was supposed to work, and that didn't work basically, I think, through the efforts of this Abraham Bolden guy. Uh, and so eventually they got him in Dallas. There's a lot to it. You know, rather than try to rework or reword Sherman's connection here, we go into it in detail up on the website. 
Yes, I read that, and I think it's something that everyone should read at Steam Shovel Press. And we're talking to, we call him the godfather of Steam Shovel Press, <laughs> <laughs> Kenneth Thomas, our favorite conspiracy theory expert. And for those who didn't hear the previous interview, we were talking about in large part, the connection between one of the figures in the Maury Island case, Fred Chrisman, a possible connection with the Kennedy assassination. Since Maury Island was a UFO case, we get that mysticism or paranormal angle. So for those who didn't hear the first well, interview, could you maybe bring us back up to date for that well, aspect Sherman, of it? I can connect Sherman up to that whole line of research. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy! I can connect anything up to anything. I guess. That's true. It's like the six degrees of uh, separation of Kevin Bacon. <laughs> What's Kevin Bacon's connection with this, by the way? Kevin with Bacon's Sherman? connection to Sherman Skolnick. I think we're going to be able to get Bacon to do the biopic on Skolnick. It's certainly something that needs to be done—a Hollywood uh, biography <laughs> of Sherman Skolnick. But Sherman basically kind of introduced me to the idea of Fred Crisman by introducing me to the conspiracy work of another friend of his, a guy named A.J. Weberman, who was actually more famous for digging through Bob Dylan's trash. He was, he was like the first garbologist. He invented the field. But he also co-wrote a book called Coup d'etat in America. And this was the first book that had the transparency overlays that showed the tramps in the grassy knoll. The overlays would have like E. Howard Hunt, who's supposedly one of the tramps. You could overlay it on the photo and see exactly how his face matched up with the face uh, on the photo. And Crisman is in that book. And Crisman is mentioned as a possibility for one of the one of the tramps. Actually, I, you know, Sherman showed me that, and we talked about Weberman because I had a history actually of being of working with a Bob Dylan magazine for a while, and really kind of you know, in a, in a way, set me off on the research for Maury Island in the first place. It's an interesting career path, isn't it? You know, two two Bob Dylan fans become conspiracy nuts. Me and A.J. Weberman. <laughs> well, <laughs> that makes sense. And we were introduced by Sherman Skolnick. <laughs> <laughs> well, the only question I would have to ask then is, is Bob Dylan involved? <laughs> oh, God. We'll be hearing about it on his radio sh show shortly. Actually, Dylan remembers uh -oh. an award from the Emergency Civil Liberties Union shortly after the Kennedy assassination, and he made some comments that were kind of that been interpreted as being kind of sympathetic to Oswald. And this is one of the famous scenes in his life where he was booed off the stage, just like Newport in 65, because he was saying, oh, I know how Oswald felt. But basically his point, he didn't like being considered a pawn of rich liberals. And it's really interesting that, you know, at that point, I don't think too many people really understood that Oswald was a pawn in a greater game. You know, people really kind of bought the Warren Commission idea that he acted alone. So it's really kind of interesting that Dylan kind of had the insight that he was. <laughs> Since you raised the question here about the conspiracy, so the first time I heard about the possibility of this was actually attending a lecture given by a former New York State Assemblyman who became one of the primary writers about the subject, Mark Lane. Now, that's when I first became acquainted with but the possibility Possibilities of the Kennedy assassination. Yes, we went to several of his lectures in New York City. This was what 1965 or something like that. Yeah, he was early on, 65, 60. I think his the movie of Rush to Judgment came out in 66. I'm not quite sure when the book did before or after. Looking at what he was saying then, because then it was mostly a brief for. Oswald's defense to show that he was somehow innocent of this crime. But I don't think at that point 
he was spending a lot of time trying to figure out who might have been responsible for this. Now, looking at this thing in 2006, what feeling do you have as to who may have been responsible for hatching this plot? My take on it is that it's it's as as obvious as it seems to be. The Kennedy assassination was a result of the uh, military-industrial complex. And the Maury Island case basically stresses this idea that Crisman had a connection to Boeing. And Garrison's notion that uh, Crisman was hired as an assassin by Boeing because Kennedy had given the contract for the uh, TFX tactical fighter to General Dynamics. That whole process began, opened up what I call the funding corridor. The TFX was eventually sold to the Australians as the F-111, and it opened the funding corridor for the development of Pine Gap, which is Australia's Area 51. And if you tie this back into to Oswald, who throughout his career was connected to the U-2 flights, and I think I went over this in the last show, that he served in Atsugi where the U-2s flew out of. He gave the Soviets the, the information they needed to shoot down Gary Powers' U-2. The job that he had before the book depository was with a film processing company that processed U-2 film, and that the U-2 was developed out of Area 51. So I see the Kennedy assassination in that backdrop as part of that ongoing Mm. development of, you know, this kind of science fiction nightmare that we have of the, uh, the military state. You've entered another dimension. You've entered the Paracast. Cast with Gene Steinberger, David Bietney. We're talking to Kenneth Thomas, who is the godfather of Steam Shovel Press. Go to steamshovelpress.com to learn about the publication that he... Actually, Sherman was the godfather. Sherman was the godfather, and you're just the son. You're Sonny. Sherman Sonny. was my godfather, anyway. Okay. Actually, you know, it's interesting, too. The, uh, the obituary photograph of Sherman Skolnick shows him holding up a copy of Steam Shovel Press. Really? Yeah, it's actually a photograph of me and him together, but they cropped me out. But he's still got that copy of Steam Shovel. <laughs> so, Ken, you mentioned something about an Australian Area 51. I've never heard of this. Can you please tell us more about that? Are we talking about secret aircraft research, or are we talking about UFO research, or both? Oh, uh, a little bit of both. Pine Gap is actually relatively uh, a well-known thing. Uh, there, this is the place that has those giant domes, those ray domes in Australia, in, in Alice Springs. And uh, everything that happens at Area 51 also happens there. That is, you know, there are rumors that people will work together with aliens there. Uh, there are rumors that that's where they faked a lot of the transmissions that supposedly came from the moon, you know, uh, and under that series of theories that we didn't really do that. But it's been a military base there for, for many, many years. And its development and its funding all, all started and all began with this uh, 
this very important TFX fighter, which was the last thing that John Kennedy was ever spoke about. The last talk he gave was about the TFX. It was shot right after that. And also, uh, Seymour Hersh has written extensively about this this whole uh, really? dynamics Boeing. Uh, Nexus. It's, it's little known because even though Garrison was on the case here, if you've seen Oliver Stone's movie, you don't, you know, see Fred Crisman's name. You don't hear a mention of uh, General Dynamics or Boeing because no. because Stone is pursuing the case. And they do mention in there that uh, the Clay, that Clay Shaw, the man that Garrison uh, prosecuted, was just a toehold on a greater conspiracy. And uh, so, you know, the, and that's the way Garrison felt, too. He really didn't think Clay Shaw was the central figure. Was, he was only the person that he had enough stuff on that he could prosecute. Uh, and Clay Shaw's name comes up in uh, earlier on in this whole thing. He, was, he had some involvement with transferring the Nazi scientists uh, in, in Operation Paperclip. Mm-hmm. Uh, after the war, you know, we we uh, people like uh, Walter Dornberger and Werner, Werner von Braun and all this uh, uh, came over to our side and helped develop our space program. Clay Shaw was was big in that transfer. The most recent set of MJ-12 documents that uh, Robert and Ryan Woods have surfaced even mentioned specifically, very specifically, huh. that this is uh, saying connects Clay Shaw with Fred Crisman. But you're also connecting him with the UFO mystery because of the MJ-12 documents. This is getting even crazier. Right, right. Well, you know, Crisman, you know, after all that happened, Crisman was a, was a personality on the UFO talk show circuit. People, you know, interested every once in a while, you know, Crisman uh, would come out and do a talk or Harold Dahl, his partner, would come out and do a talk. And, and they were kind of known entities. And, in fact, Crisman, do you remember the old uh, television series, The Invaders? Oh, sure. With Roy Finnis. I actually met Roy Finnis last summer in Roswell and got to tell him this, but Crisman believed that that show was based on his life, and, and Finnis was really kind of overjoyed to find this out. <laughs> really. <laughs> and uh, we bonded and, and, and talked a lot, watched old episodes of The Invaders and stuff. And that show, actually, uh, one of the things that Finnis told me was that uh, George Adamski's granddaughter actually worked on the show and was responsible for the design of the ship, which is a classic George Adamski craft. We understand, by the way, that some of our listeners don't know who George Adamski was. He was one of the early UFO contactees, and that's his connection. So it seems we have not six degrees of separation here, but maybe one or two. It's getting crazier as we go on, so let's proceed. Well, we have these multiple connections between the UFO subculture and the JFK assassination. I mean, you have people out there who believe that Kennedy was assassinated because he was about ready to expose the Roswell crash. That is not quite true. And actually, what's really true, this idea that the assassination had something to do with the development of these high technologies, you know, that have kind of shaped the modern nightmare, is actually quite true. Are you familiar with Stan Friedman's work in getting into Don Menzel's archives? Yes, he's been on the show mentioning that. Yeah, well, Menzel had, in those archives, he had letters to JFK where he's saying, look, I've been a spy for a long time. I worked in the Japanese decryption program, and I've got something I'd like to say to you in person. And this is back-channel letters Mm. that that Friedman went through a lot of trouble, actually, to find. So, and Menzel, of course, is an MJ-12 signature person. And, uh, you know, there's there's so much more to that than what's uh, generally gets discussed and dismissed. Well, let's discuss it because we now have the Maury Allen UFO case. Mm -hmm. We have the MJ-12 documents, supposedly those who were talking about the reality of the Roswell crash, this document that was allegedly secret and somehow made public by Stanton Friedman and William Moore. (laughs) And we have the Kennedy assassination. 
which may have been all over not giving a company a contract over a new aircraft. What else do we have to find out about these connections? What else is connected? This is just creating an entire subculture of connections. Well, there's a lot. You know, a lot of people think it's all faked and hoaxed and, uh, you know, that uh, Shandera and those people just kind of faked the, the original MJ-12 documents. There's a thing called, though, in the National Archives, there's something called the Cutler-Twining Memo, which is rescheduling a special studies subgroup of MJ-12. And it's on uh, onion skin paper. It's a carbon copy on onion skin paper. It's still in the archives. I held it in my hand myself. And, you know... Almost any piece of evidence you can put out there, somebody can say, well, somebody snuck that into the archives. I printed this article in, in uh, the issue before last at Team Shuttle Press that what I think is the smoking gun proof of the existence of MJ-12, and that is the date between the Cutler-Twining memo and another memo that another researcher uncovered in uh, Tucson in the archives of an Eisenhower kitchen cabinet member guy named Lou Douglas. And uh, these, these dates in archives, you know, far apart, separated by time and space, no way in the world that they were going to, you know, sneak documents into both of these archives on the, you know, outside hope that some researcher might uncover the Douglas memo 20 years after the twining memo. It all gets pretty ridiculous. So, you know, MJ-12 is a real entity in history, and, you know, nothing can be more proven than that, than that what I call triangulation of research. So if you start there, then you can work backwards from that. None of that means, by the way, that there's that extraterrestrial life or that it's visited Earth just that uh, we had a government agency that believed that and dealt with it and probably still still deals with it. Fake Magazine provides true reports of the strange and unknown. Keep up with the latest on angels and miracles, psychic phenomena, ghosts, UFOs, life after death, and much, much more. To receive your free issue of Fake Magazine, call now at 1-800-728-728. 2730 or visit their website at www.fatemag.com that's 1-800-728-2730 or www.fatemag.com what are you waiting for your fate awaits You've entered another dimension. You've entered the Paracast. This is just getting more interesting by the second. And this is the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Biedney. We're talking to Kenneth Thomas, publisher, editor of Steam Shovel Press. Okay, guys, this is getting to be one of the craziest conspiracy theories we've seen. But you say it's true, so let's take it that way. We have the Kennedy assassination. We have Maury Island. We have MJ-12. That's three so far. 
Can you give us number four, number five? What else is connected? <laughs> well, I have to say that the strangest thing about uh, about this whole thing is the the level of documentation. You know, the the fact that it's this is not you know the driver did it theory of the Kennedy assassination or the no plane in the Pentagon theory of 9/11. Mm. This is stuff that uh, you know that involves documentation that anybody can check out and that really no logical person can dismiss. And and it just so happens to be also the weirdest wildest conspiracy quote theory out there. Hey, I'm just uh, getting word now that uh, apparently Lloyd Benson has died. Do you know yes. Senator Lloyd Benson? Yes. Uh, he was connected to the Kennedy assassination through uh, the Torbett document. He, uh, uh, a researcher named Penn Jones established that Lloyd Benson did fundraisers for a group called Defense Industrial Security Command, which is one of the groups involved in the assassination, according to the Torbett document. Just, I just didn't want somebody to die without me connecting them to the Kennedy <laughs> I don't think that there's anybody out there who can die without being connected with the Kennedy assassination. I think everybody is guilty. And if we just assume that, that we can separate everybody by no more than three or four or five levels of separation, then everybody's responsible. But to be very serious about it, Except for MJ-12 and Maury Island and the Kennedy assassination, we have, of course, Fred Lee Chrisman involved in some of this. Yeah. Is it? Mentioned, I just uh, checked uh, the Amazon listing for the Maury Island book uh, a couple days ago, and what has happened to it is what I predicted would happen to it. You cannot get a copy of Moy Island UFO anymore for less than $100. Hmm. That's what happened to the Octopus book, too. The print run is sold out. It's become a rare book. So if you go up to Amazon, you will see, you know, copies available, like $99 you can get it. But it's an expensive rarity, which is a shame because, you know, the information in it needs to be more well-known and, and sent out there. I want to tell people, as you probably know, ladies and gentlemen, we record a lot of our interviews for the PowerCast. And the process of recording this particular episode has been more troublesome than any episode we've had of the show. Virtually every few minutes, we lose a connection. We have a situation where Ken can't hear us. And then we have to reconnect. <laughs> well, and then we had Skype quit out on us in a way that's never happened. That's right, to both of us, to me and to yeah. David. Skype is the Very networking weird. program that we use. Okay, so David, you had a lot of questions, and maybe you should start asking them before we get disconnected once again. <laughs> well, yeah, actually, uh, it's interesting to tie all these different conspiracies together, but I want to get back to Sherman Skolnick for a minute, because the thing is, Ken and Gene, I, I think that a lot of these things are not so much conspiracy theories as they are conspiracy revelations. Um, from what I've seen, uh, Sherman was writing a lot about the whole Enron situation before it was really on people's uh, radars. Ken, did you did you speak with him about that? I mean, he has quite a bit he's written about what was happening at, at Enron, and it turns out that wasn't a conspiracy, it was a scam. Uh, well, like me, uh, Sherman was a lightning rod for all kinds of conspiracy uh, things and got all kinds of back-channel information from a variety of sources. Mm -hmm. I don't think I ever had a discussion with him about Enron. Uh, he, he did a great deal of work, though, involving the Infall case and the Promise software, and uh, he did a lot to let me know about that. But you're right, they're not conspiracy theories. In fact, this is the whole thrust of my... I just got back from L.A. where I did uh, this, a lecture on what I call parapolitics, mm -hmm. parapolitical information. It's information that runs alongside what you consider mainstream information, you know, like you, you're picking up from CNN or New York Times or whatever, 
uh, Sherman was a person who just kind of steeped himself in that. So, you know, and, and, and in many cases, it really, the veracity of it really didn't matter. I mean, Sherman wanted to hear it. He said, you know, if we can't get him on the facts, let's get him on the dirt. And let's start a rumor <laughs> if we have to. Uh, that it was tactics. It was a way to fight back, a way. Sure. And also, and yeah, and also, you know, when I, when I try to phrase it, you know, I'm not trying to dress it up in some kind of, you know, pseudo-intellectual term. What I'm trying to do is normalize the discussion. Because right. I was very heartened to see, actually, CBS, in its obituary of Sherman Skolnick, did not call him a conspiracy theorist. They said he had been dismissed as a conspiracy theorist, but, and then they went on mm-hmm. to talk about these legal cases and the things that he really did. Yeah, so, you know, and then that's that's what I'd like to, that's a memory I'd like to put out there. Of Absolutely. As a kindly old man who was a very intelligent guy and uh, led a, a rich, full life, you know, informing people about the full spectrum of information that's out there and not this limited little trickle that people get from, you know, whatever source. You know, there's so few people like, yeah. oh, like in the world. Truth seekers. People really looking for actual truth, right? I mean, what's become clear now is that the mainstream media is a joke. We've been finding this out the hard way over the last few years. And when you look at uh, Skolnick's writings, clearly he was on something. I mean, again, are we talking about conspiracy theory or are we talking about institutional analysis? <laughs> it's uh, <laughs> At this point, I, I have to wonder about that. If you look at how the world is going today, if you just look at the, how the United States is playing politically, it would definitely seem like there's some other agenda happening that is not voiced by the mainstream media. Which doesn't mean it doesn't exist. I'm 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 at a point now where I agree with you. These kinds of losses are terrible. Where are the truth seekers? Ken, who are the truth seekers of today? Well, I'll tell you what. Chairman Skolnick was much more, um, a much better, more thorough social critic than someone like, say, Noam Chomsky, who's really big on this institutional analysis stuff, which is an umbrella term, which you're basically saying, oh, it's all rich people against the poor people. But Sherman was a person who focused on the facts, who focused on the detail. And that's the difference between parapolitical research or conspiracy theory, if you have to call it that, and these kind of generalized attacks on society, you know. I mean, what isn't institutional analysis when you get down to it? And, if you know, if that's everything, then it's, then it's nothing. Sherman could tell you. I mean, a perfect example is the, uh, the Midway crash in 73. Anybody who reads about it, anybody who gets close to that, uh, situation knows now that that plane was brought down to kill Dorothy Hunt, E. Howard Hunt's wife. You know, uh, when Sherman was was telling that to the National Transportation Safety Board back in '73, he was laughed at, called a nutty conspiracy theorist. But now it's such common knowledge that you know it's not even controversial. So you want to so, list who's giving giving out good information? Well, who 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 are the top three guiding lights at this point that we can turn to to glean some actual some actual knowledge, some actual wisdom, in your opinion? <laughs> well, it's interesting that you besides you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there was an offshoot uh, series of the X Files called The Lone Gunman. Remember that? And there were no. three guys. You know, you know, oh, right, the three guys that were in the X-Files. Yeah, 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 his researcher time, guys you go to. The researcher guys, yeah, and the first episode of that show actually had, uh, it was done the march before 9-11. They actually had a plane flying into the World Trade Towers. But at the time when that show came out, I was doing Steam Shovel Press, 
Jim Martin was doing Flatland, and Greg Bishop was doing Excluded Middle. There were like three of us doing these conspiracy zines, <laughs> and they, you know, turned it all into this big comedy show. You know, and uh, and you see this time and again. Every serious person, if you really get serious, eventually is cartooned some way in the media. Mel Gibson did a movie that was based on one of my books, and his movie's Conspiracy Theory. And uh, you know, so that 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 happens. But you know, I still think John Judge is an important force out there. Uh, John Judge has organized the Coalition on Political Assassinations out of Washington, D.C. Uh, he was a student uh, uh, and protege of May Brussel, and uh, that has long been a, a vein of important uh, information and research. So I, mm -hmm. I would list him as one. If you're interested, for instance, in the parapolitics of religion, which is really big now because of the Da Vinci Code, I always recommend the, the writings and the website of Acharya S., who wrote the book Christ Conspiracy, and who would make an excellent guest for your program. Mm. And if you are interested in uh, UFO stuff, my guy on this is Greg Bishop, who, uh, who used to do The Excluded Middle, and he just wrote a book called Project Beta about the Paul Benowitz situation. Actually, he also just wrote another book called Weird California about a lot of the strange anomalies in that state. Oh, I love but, the weird series of books. They're great, actually. Yeah, yeah, the weird New Jersey guys. They, they yeah, they're, they're they wonderful. When, when, when my state comes up, I'm supposed to be doing uh, that. Excellent. Comment. I hope I have a time at the time. But, you know, when I first started Team Travel Press, that was the idea. I mean, uh, the obvious thing was that, yeah, the world is filled with conspiracies. And, uh, you know, no one person can, you know, cover it all. And I have my specialty. We've been talking about it on this program. Uh, but, you know, Acharya was a sign in my mind, you know. I mean, all these people are doing their own thing, but I had lied. I would ally with them. And, you know, if somebody wanted to cover the religion beat, that's Acharya, UFOs, that's Greg. Uh, almost everything else went to Jim Keith before he died. Uh, and it was, it was, and it is quite an underground, you know. And, uh, and Sherman was, was a big part of that. And, yeah. uh, you know, there should be a Hall of Heroes somewhere. In fact, I, uh, I always had this idea that, you know, I could get a statue made of that photo of Sherman being put into a paddy wagon in his wheelchair by these two cops, turn that into a little bronze stat, and start an annual award thing, you know, for the best parapolitical <laughs> research of the year. Call it the Shermie. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. I'd like to tell you this. You're in the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Bietney. With many, many interruptions that we've mentioned so far, we're talking to Kenneth Thomas. He publishes Steam Shovel Press. Go to steamshovelpress.com. And we always use the generic terms conspiracy theories, but a lot of these are conspiracy facts. And I wanted to focus back on this triad here. We have the Maury Allen case, a UFO case. We have the MJ-12 documents, which relate to UFOs. And we have the Kennedy assassination. And before we even get into the other stuff that we've mentioned peripherally, is the Kennedy assassination related at all to the UFO stuff, other than the fact that one of the Area 51 installations was the source of where this aircraft was being developed? 
Uh, yeah, well, that's, the book that I did on this was called NASA, Nazis, and JFK. It was like the first uh, published and annotated uh, version of the Torbit document, and it discusses the whole role of the paperclip Nazi scientists in the development of the space program. You know, a lot of that is just, uh, is, uh, you know, pure Nazi stuff. There's a photograph, actually, in uh, NASA Nazis of uh, Werner von Braun and, and JFK uh, standing next to each other like a month or so before the assassination. And mm. his memoir, published only in German, in Germany, von Braun says that after that photograph was taken, they got into an argument very specifically about what kind of propulsion system uh, we were going to use to get to the moon. And, hmm. uh, and you would think von Braun, being a rocket scientist, was talking about rockets. What was JFK talking about? And then you get into this whole the whole moon hoax theory, which you know I don't believe that we didn't go to the moon. Right. You have these questions about the surface module not creating a blast or a blast crater, and uh, you have real questions about what kind of propulsion system is being used. And in a more general sense, what you have is this kind of high tech world that we live in that uh, is described in the Octopus book more in terms of the Promise software, which is the software that's running these NSA satellites that uh, uh, supposedly was you know, big news that they're spying on us all the time. <laughs> well, they were doing that long before 9-11. Yeah, this is not news. I mean, a lot of us knew this. Yeah, and basically we are living in this kind of high-tech science fiction nightmare with a totalitarian government in, in charge. I mean, there's so many different dimensions to the alien, to the alien thing, you know. If, if there are no aliens, then there's certainly a concerted effort to, in, to inject the notion of aliens into normal discussion, critical discussion about politics. I mean, that's what a lot of the UFO conferences are all about, so that if you, you know, if you really want to know about Star Wars Defense Initiative, for instance, you know, where do you go to talk about it? You can go to the UFO conference, but uh, you know you're gonna when you go there, think of the nuts and the weirdos you're gonna run into. And it's, yeah. it's a method, it's a way of trivializing it and making it unimportant and uh, depriving the discussion of credibility. Right. So you know that's all that's all part of it. So who's behind this, Ken? I mean, how can it be that at this point in time, with all of what I believe is useful evidence we've uncovered about things like the UFO phenomenon. Who in the heck is essentially putting this aura of illegitimacy around it? I mean, you know, can we trace this to the current administration? <laughs> well, administrations come and go. Right. Yeah, this is why I don't get into a lot of bush bashing. You know, that's right. Uh, who do we bash then? Who who who's holding the reins here, man? Uh, it's, it's just a global, transnational, global network of uh, interlocking intelligence agencies and terrorist networks. <laughs> That's who. I mean, it's, is that another word for corporations? I mean, that's another word for CIA. I call it Western intelligence, uh, and you know, it, that's what it is. It's Mossad, it's RCMP, Interpol, and all of these people all have, have infiltrated uh, the Al Qaeda cells and the terrorist networks, and many of the people that are involved in all this, like Oswald, had so many different allegiances, they don't know who they really, uh, you know, represent or are trying to defend. Hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I don't think it's one national group, you know, I think it's the octopus, that's the whole point of the book, it's a transnational yeah. group of, uh, uh, you know, high-powered brokers that uh, they make an enormous amount of uh, profit and power, take enormous a lot of profit and power from... Uh, 
professional warfare. Wow. So we can't find just one whipping boy here or whipping person, to use the politically correct vernacular. We have lots of people who are engaged in this kind of behavior one way or the other. Yeah. I'm not trying to discourage anybody, though. You know, I mean, it's never really, you know, it's never really been the smart thing to look at things as either or or to arrange the world into superheroes and supervillains. But it's not really the smart thing to think that there aren't malevolent forces and that there, and it's not a smart thing to think that there's nothing you can do about it. And Sherman Skolnick is, you know, the perfect example of a life, a total life lived in opposition to uh, forces that are malevolent, evil, if you want to call them that. And, uh, you know, I would hold his example up as, as kind of the way to live, the way to conduct yourself. And, uh, and I, you know, I really, I really kind of resist in trying to make one villain out of uh, the complicated scenarios because you got people that would just blame it all on the Jews or, uh, or on the neocons or on the Illuminati or the Masons, you know. Yeah. Uh, I'm not saying any of that isn't true, but it's not the whole picture, you know. And that was what was beautiful about Skolnick, you know. He, he looked at the whole picture and, you know, he fought it like, a, like an entire army himself. What we have here is a situation where a lot of the people who are involved in this are regarded as eccentrics, and our radio show is regarded as simply just another one of those offbeat radio shows. And they don't. Not you guys. Well, we're an exception, of course. <laughs> we're, the, we're the normal people. Uh, they might not think so after tonight, Gene. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I thought that was last week. <laughs> Well, I think this week is, is going to get a little strange, but, you know, not this week as in with Ken, this right, week well, as in what, yeah, no, we're talking about well, what will have been last week's show by the time people hear this. Oh, boy, we don't want to go down that path. Well, I understand what you're saying, and, and actually it has been the whole thrust of what I've been trying to do lately, although uh, the, my new book is called Parapolitics, and it's still not out. It's from Adventures Unlimited Press, David Hatcher Chilvers. But the idea there is to try to normalize the conversation. To try right. to you know dress it up in some kind of language that doesn't make it seem like you're wild-eyed and crazy. But let's face it, a lot of this stuff is really yeah. You know, it's a little out there. Cra- you'd have to be crazy not to be paranoid, right? <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, and so you know, I, I've been fairly comfortable all these years in an underground and among people who uh, fashion themselves as uh, uh, contrarians and uh, you know uh, people who like to think differently about things and like to try to understand things a little bit better and don't like to be pushed around by. You know, common concepts of, you know, mainstream brainwashing and that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. But so I've lately, though, I've been trying to make that, you know, and, and find language to empower every person to be able to be that way. And uh, that's why I'm moving away. That's why I try to get away from the word conspiracy theory and use this word parapolitics. You know, because it's been done to a certain extent. Uh, it's 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 a little bit less of a verboten thing to discuss the paranormal these days, for instance. You know, is that because people are more open to this stuff, Ken, or is it part of the the whole brainwashing process? I mean, you look at what's going on in the United States in terms of the the incredible rise of the fundamentalist religious right, and it seems to me that's really playing to fear and ignorance. So I, sometimes when I see this interest in the paranormal, it seems like it, it, it it's an off 
it's sort of an offshoot of this proliferation of fear and ignorance. I mean, Gene and I would hope it would be about people trying to really get to some truth, which is, I think, what we're trying to do on this show, is trying to uncover some core truths to this incredibly complex world around us. But sometimes it seems like people, they're so overwhelmed in their lives that to start to process this information, it's just too much for them. Yeah, yeah, that is a problem. And the Christian groups basically are trying to fit the data into their their paradigm, right. That's, again, with that prefix, the para-prefix. And uh, the example that we have uh, that that is, is more truthful and works away from that is Charles Fort and the, the 14. Mm-hmm. And that, it, he, I mean, he directly, his entire approach is to look for the stuff that doesn't fit the paradigm and don't try to fit it into the paradigm, you know, because uh, that's putting the cart before the horse. That's, you know, trying to turn reality into some kind of preconceived idea. And that's not the way reality is. No. It's a difficult perspective to, to, to gain, and I understand what you're saying. You know, I mean, the paranormal information, I mean, if you've seen things, and, and I've actually seen a metallic flying saucer at Area 51 back in 92, and if you talk to anybody who's had a genuine sighting or some kind of genuine paranormal experience, you're not going to be able to convince them that they didn't see it. I mean, if, they, if they're sane at all, they, they know what they saw, and this, right. is a constant, this is a constant pattern with people. You know, you see this stuff, and people say, oh, that's just... Venus or swamp gas or you were drunk or whatever, people know what they saw. It's like the Zabruder right. film. You see the Zabruder film, you can see the shot from the grass, you know. People know that. It's common sense. Yeah, there's no question. Actually, there's been a but, really... But then, there is, but then there's the ideation of religion, you know, and there are these silly mythologies that, that, that people want to believe in and that right. entire priesthoods and, and, and religious bureaucracies have to try to sell to people in order to retain their power. We have William Burns, the publisher of UFO Magazine, on the line. William, can you give us an offer for our readers about getting the magazine? Yes, I sure can. This is UFO Magazine, and I'm Bill Burns, the publisher, and here's an offer for your listeners. We have a special five-issue introductory offer for first-time subscribers, 1995 for your first five issues. Not available anywhere else, but on the Paracast. So, Bill, how do they place the order? People can place orders by going to www.ufomag.com. They can also place orders over the phone at 1-888-UFOMAGA, or they can write to us at Post Office Box 11013, Marina Del Rey, California, 90295. Bill, give us that contact information again. It is UFO Magazine, Post Office Box 11013, Marina Del Rey, California, 90295. Or they can go directly to www.ufomag.com, and they can also call 1-888-UFO-MAGA, and they can subscribe right over the phone with a credit card. You've entered another dimension. You've entered the Paracast.
Hold on a second. Let me tell everybody this is the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Bietney. We're talking to Kenneth Thomas, and we're talking not about conspiracy theories, but parapolitics. Is that better? Uh, yes, much better. Thank you, sir. Okay, you were continuing about religions, and are we referring to specific religions, organized religion in general, or what? Uh, well, I could be specific if you want. I was, uh, you know, I did mention Acharya before. He's really good in, in identifying, for instance, the idea that Christianity was created by the Roman state out of all of the uh, the solar cults and the various cultures that the Roman Empire had conquered in order to create uh, an ideology of a single state, in order to centralize, you know, as a form of, of thought control. You know, and, uh, and you know, if you really want to get into that, you really should have a charia uh, on on the line. But that's that's the way a lot of religion works. And I'm not knocking people's genuine religious sentiments, but I am insisting that uh, you know you can have those, and you can still see that there are bullies, uh, right wing militarists, you know, aggressive, violent people that are dressing up what they really are in the mythology and the ritual of uh, of religion. You know, and that and that kind of thing has nothing to do with what the real sentiments of religion are supposed to be about. Right. I think that's pretty that's a pretty obvious thing. And they all idea that, you know, Jesus Christ does not exist in history. I mean there's not a single bit of historical evidence to suggest that he was an actual real person. You know, you have to deal with that, whether you're a Christian or not. You know, uh, you have to, you know, I have to say, well, that's true, but I accept it on faith. But you know, you can't sit there and say, no, this little passage in Josephus shows that he was really there. Well, no, that was an obvious forgery. You know, this kind of thing. Well, let's look at the Da Vinci Code because it's just taken the entire world by storm. We have a movie that has gotten to be generous mediocre reviews. We've got a book that some just call just a standard pulp fiction kind of novel. And they've taken the world by storm. I guess people want to believe, or at least some people do, that Jesus Christ married and had a child and that the secret is kept by the Catholic Church. This classic We'll call it a conspiracy theory because I gather it's not something that it's anybody can really prove. But a lot of people are willing to consider it as a reality, not just a fiction book. And what do we have here? What's going on? Yeah, isn't that crazy? It's basically an argument for the divine right of kings. I mean, the only thing we really have to uh, to, to jettison, if we want to accept that, is the American Revolution. Hmm. You know, that uh, the Merovingian line is actually descended from the Son of God, uh, you know, and it's crazy. And you know those guys uh, that wrote Holy Blood, Holy Grail, you remember the whole lawsuit, that was big in the media for a while. Or did you follow that at all? It's an old conspiracy book called Holy Blood, Holy Grail, and it basically has all the material that Dan Brown used for the Da Vinci Code. And they hmm. sued him, but it was rejected by the courts uh, because there was the courts quite sanely said, well, if you're trying to present this as actual history, then you can't have any copyright claim onto it. You know? <laughs> and so they had their choice. You know, They had to either say they made it all up uh, or they you know, just had to accept the decision of the court. And that, of course, their book, of course, was based on the writings of a guy named Pierre Plantard in the late 50s and the early 60s, who was basically trying to set himself up as an heir to the Merovingian line. And that's all kind of a well-known, and I wouldn't even call that a hoax. I call none of this stuff a hoax. If you trace this back down to Pierre Plantard, I would say that it's what, what Yates, W.B. Yates called half-perceived, half-created, that he had you know, some idea that uh, there, there was this kind of legend going on in the background of his ancestor, and uh, he concretized it by you know, creating the Samizdat literature that 
that basically became the basis of the Holy Blood and basically became, uh, you know, the Da Vinci Code. So now you said something before, Ken, that there was absolutely no historical evidence whatsoever of the existence of Jesus Christ. I'm just curious about that. There's none. There's none, no, none, none whatsoever. None whatsoever. I spent many hours examining all the different claims, and you would do well to get Acharya S. on this show to discuss it. But, I mean, if you hmm. have one, you have some evidence that uh, that hasn't been brought to light. <laughs> No, I'm just curious about this. I, it's fascinating then that, you know, there's uh, talk about a brand name value, the brand name of Jesus, and the idea that it's based entirely on fabrication. It doesn't, does it shock me? Uh, not a lot shocks me anymore, quite honestly. Well, before we have a lot of. <laughs> a lot of Christians storming yeah. this station oh, and blowing boy. up our servers, is there evidence? That he didn't exist. Would never do that. Okay. Well, that's interesting. If you complain about certain other religions, which we won't mention, if you do anything, if you do to the Da Vinci Code, you do that to another religion, like the Muslim religion, I tell you that they would be burning down the author's home immediately. Oh, no. There's more sensitivity. So obviously we can accept in the Christian religions some kind of criticism here. But now you're getting to the core belief, because regardless of whether you believe the Da Vinci Code's theories are not, you believe there was a person named Jesus Christ. But you're saying that what is recounted in the Bible is not evidence. Well, you know, the Bible was put together a couple of centuries after the supposed events of, of Jesus' life. And, uh, and basically, that's all kind of a reworking of the solar mythos, the whole idea of the death and resurrection. That's a constant pattern in religious imagery throughout the world and throughout history. It's just the rising and the lowering of the sun and the passing of the season. And, uh, but no, as far as I can determine, unless somebody can come up with something, I'd be certainly happy to look at, at any more evidence of, of some artifact or some writing that really established that Jesus was a real person. But as, so far, no, nothing has, has really come hmm. up. Well, this could certainly yeah, upset the entire belief systems of billions of people, if well, it was you know, true. That's, isn't, that, isn't that what the Da Vinci Code is all about, though? I mean, isn't that how they're selling the movie? It's upsetting. It's upsetting Opus Dei, and it's upsetting the Catholic Church because it's saying something different than the orthodoxy that they're trying to put out there. Okay. Okay, yeah. I'll grant that. And, and, I, and I believe, really believe, that uh, the Charia's book, The Christ Conspiracy, would make an extremely popular movie. Uh, but, you know, the concepts are a little bit more intellectual than... Uh, and I haven't seen Da Vinci Code, so I, don't, I hear what you hear, that it's pretty dull. But, you know, trying to turn it into a, a popular property like that, you know, it could probably be done. I mean, any, like you said, anything having to do with Jesus is a saleable property. But I'm afraid it's not much more than that in many cases. All right, so quick question here. Dead Sea Scrolls. Any mention of Jesus in the Dead Sea Scrolls? None. No, not one. Really? And, uh, and, and actually, there was an effort to cover that up for many years, to not really reveal what was uh, what was on the scrolls because it really didn't say anything about Jesus. Hmm. It gets complicated every second. Christ, Christ Conspiracy by Acharya S. Her website is truthbeknown.com, and she's a very brilliant woman and a very thorough scholar. Who's got to have a very difficult life? Because when you start to come out and say stuff like this, it makes people think that the UFO stuff is legitimate discussion. Which, by the way, Ken, what you were saying before about you can't convince someone about what they didn't see. One of the things that uh, I've talked about on this show, we did a whole episode on it, was the very significant UFO experience I had with my brother in South America in the mid 70s. When I say I had with my brother, thousands of people witnessed an amazing UFO 
UFO episode. And, and it's, so it's not, you know, someone can't say to me, well, what you saw was Venus or swamp gas. No, we actually, we witnessed a cigar mothership with yeah. smaller disks emerging from it. So, and we saw this with thousands of other people. So it's not, you know, my, my, my intent about doing this show, as I've said on the show before, and I've spoken with Gene about, is that I, I am very skeptical about a lot of the claims that people have, but my interest in this topic really springs out of my own experiences, some of which I've discussed on the show, some of which I haven't. Well, I don't really discuss my experience much, except to say that I have one uh, when somebody says they've had one. And then I try right. to listen to the details of their experience without you know, coloring it with anything that I saw and right. see if anything that they saw matches up with what I saw and you know, try to create a little triangulation of research there to, to test the variety. Right. You're in the Paracast with James Spangler and David Piani. You never know what's going to happen next. Let me triangulate this. This is the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Biedney. Ken Thomas talking parapolitics. No more conspiracy theories. Go to steamshovelpress.com. I noticed, by the way, the Christ Conspiracy is available from Amazon. I'm going to buy a copy. So I may get in trouble for buying this copy. We might get disconnected <laughs> momentarily. But I'm ordering a copy, and that's how it goes. And we'll maybe talk about that in a future episode. You should commit to having Acharya S. Uh, for one thing, she's a very charming and very funny person. And uh, she's done two books, actually. Uh, of course, she got you know all kinds of criticism for the first one, Christ Conspiracy. And the latest one is called Sons of God, S-U-N-S. And uh, it's uh, like a follow-up to this idea that uh, the religious ideas are basically you know, are coming from the ancient past, the solar cults. And, you know, she traces all the similarities, you know, the idea of the virgin birth, you know, it's like Hindu religion and resurrection myths and its connection to the enlightenment myth of the Buddhists. And it's a fascinating stuff, really. It sounds like very fascinating stuff. Let's talk about another fascinating topic here right now. And that's one we've alluded to a couple of times. Area 51. Now, science fiction films talk about Area 51, <laughs> and lots of books have been written about it. It's become a legend, the one in Nevada. Now, we've talked about the one in the other side of the world, but let's talk about the one in Nevada. Is that the place where they're keeping the space people in the spaceships, or is it just a place to test new military hardware or a combination of both? Ken? Well, you know, it's the durability of uh, this legend is that has gotten my attention uh, lately. The idea that uh, there is this secret desert base, uh, it's actually in a movie that JFK uh, consulted on, a movie called Seven Days in May, where uh, there's actually a right-wing takeover of the government uh, conducted out of this desert base in Nevada. And uh, I was wondering, somebody brought over an old episode of Time Tunnel, that old TV show. And the Time Tunnel is actually in an underground bunker out in a desert base in Nevada. <laughs> and uh, uh, there is, uh, there's a memo uh, called the Spiriglio Memo that, that supposedly a transcript of a pillow talk between Marilyn Monroe and RFK uh, from right before she died, where she's telling RFK that his brother took her out to the desert base to see the things from outer space. That's the quote. I remember the first reference that I ever saw, actual reference to Area 51 in a movie, was Independence Day. Uh, but like I said, the idea of the desert base uh, and you know the secret advanced technology is something that's uh, that actually kind of you know really apparent. The Stargate show, 
actually on the Science Fiction Channel has a time tunnel-like device that in an underground bunker at, at what is literally called Area 51. Actually, that particular bunker for the show is in Wyoming. Uh, Cheyenne, Cheyenne Mountain. Right, Cheyenne Mountain. But but they do refer to Area 51. Right. Doing research at Area 51 and that kind of thing. So it hasn't really been explicit until recently, but it's it's been there for a long time. And my own experience there is I certainly did see military flares being shot off the night I saw my uh, my UFO. But uh, what I saw, the metallic saucer-like uh, craft that uh, disappeared to the, into the horizon point at one point in the sky and reappeared very close by, uh, absolutely like nothing I've ever seen uh, before. If that's advanced technology, we've got some pretty advanced technology. How long ago was this, Ken? 92. And in fact, I have a piece of it on video. Uh, I was speaking at a, at a UFO conference there, and uh, we agreed to have some uh, people from KLAS in, in Vegas uh, come with us uh, in exchange for a copy of anything they videotaped. Mm-hmm. They, of course, reneged when we got back, but they did this little feature on the nightly news about, you know, the weirdos going out looking for UFOs. And most of that feature had nothing but those military flares, but a few seconds of it has this UFO. And there just happened to be one little guy who was at the conference who had his video camera trained on his uh, hotel uh, television, and he taped that, and he gave me a copy of tape. So I got like a third-generation, few-seconds image of this thing. Uh, that you know, I'm happy to share with anybody. Well, now, why did these guys renege on you? They just said, oh, no, we're not going to give you the footage? Yeah, no, they said their excuse was, and when they got back, they said, oh, no, you're going to sell it to another uh, to another television station. So, <sighs> but, you know, who knows what kind of connections the Air Force or intelligence world had with oh, the U.S. in the first place. So have you, speaking of which, Ken, have you ever been hassled by federal officials about your involvement in these topics? I think the press was once listed on a list of dangerous publications that was put out by the Bureau of Alcohol, uh, Tobacco, and Firearms. Really? You know, I mean, there were strange circumstances in the death of Jim Keith. Certainly found mail that's been tampered with. Over the years, I've gotten into some, some weird things. Um, I don't want to make you uncomfortable <laughs> talking about it. I just want to know what Gene and I should be waiting in our near future as we delve deeper and deeper into these topics. Well, I'd walk home if I were you. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> Don't drive? Have the cars been parked out there all day? <laughs> Actually, mine's oh, in boy. a garage. Oh, okay. Uh, mine's outside, guys. Thank you. It's, it's oh. dangerous. You know, I mean, there are uh, there are people who have died because they've been doing too much. You know, the, the, the conversation that I had with Keith was, well, Ken, you know, if all this stuff is really real, then how come they haven't come after us? And that's not a conversation I can have with Jim Keith anymore. <laughs> is it? Ladies and gentlemen, I should tell you again that during the course of taping this conversation, we have been constantly chronically disconnected more than any other show, more than any other episode we've done of the Paracast. And who knows how easy, easy. easy. We've had occasional problems. This has been the worst. I mentioned the name of John Keel, who's written books about the paranormal UFOs, etc. And he made the statement to run is an invitation to being chased. So, Ken, we should stand our ground, at least as far as that's concerned, right? Well, yeah, I don't see how you can actually write about anything of substance if you're going to be afraid of the substance. <laughs> you know, you got to be brave. You know, that's that's the whole point about Sherman Skolnick. You know, he lived a, a rich, full life, you know, much better life than ordinarily would be ascribed with someone with his infirmities and coming from his background. You know, he, he became much more of a 
of a hero just by standing his ground and saying uh, and speaking truth to power and uh, really not giving a damn whether they're going to come out after him or not you know and I you know I try to emphasize caution to people I don't think anybody should you know take a stand just for the sake of radical posture and uh, you know say they're going to go out and you know bomb the White House or whatever uh, but anybody who knows something that, uh, that something concrete some important bit of information that that the world at large wants to cover up or not look at, it's your responsibility as a you know a human being with common sense to to be brave and send it out to people and protect it, encourage the debate about it. For 58 years, fate has provided true reports of the strange and unknown. Fate brings you the latest in all aspects of the paranormal, like angels and miracles, psychic phenomena, ghosts, UFOs, and much much more. To receive your complimentary Fate magazine, call now at 1-800-728-2730 or visit their website at www.fatemag.com. That's 1-800-728-2730 or www.fatemag.com. What are you waiting for? Your fate awaits. You've entered another dimension. You've entered the Paracast. in the PowerCast with Gene Steinberger, David Biedney, talking to Kenneth Thomas, publisher of Steam Shovel Press, talking about para-politics, which is a renamed field of study. We're not going to call it conspiracy theory. There, I said it. We're going to go for one more session, if we can, and hope that we could get through this one without ten more disconnects. And that's another story. NSA, keep your hands off of us, please. That's right. <laughs> we are going to stand our ground, or sit our ground, depending on which ground we're on. I'm mad as hell and I'm not going to take it anymore. <laughs> Which, by the way, just a total aside, Network has been remastered and that DVD has been it, it's been re-released with a bunch of really great um, Patty Chayefsky uh, footage and a lot of great extra stuff. And boy, is that movie as relevant today as it was in 76 when it was released. Oh, my God. I haven't watched that in a long time. It's oh, like, man. That up. I'll have to go out and get it. Yeah. It's a uh, two-disc special edition. Oh, it's so good. Uh, Chayefsky also wrote Altered States, didn't he? I think you're. I think you're right about that. That's right. I think you're right about that. That was based on the life of John Lilly, who was, you know, who created the isolation tank and the communication language with dolphins and, mm-hmm. and stuff. By the way, the other thing that I did in L.A. last week was the Timothy Leary reanimation event. And oh God. That. I have to tell you, so, you know, I used to think fairly highly of Timothy Leary until 1991, Ken and Gene, when Leary came to Industrial Light and Magic to be one of our special lunchtime speakers. And there's a bunch of stories about what happened. It turns out, in fact, there was a whole episode up at Lucas Ranch with um, Timothy Leary, my buddy Mark DePay, and Spaz Williams. It's a whole, it's a disastrous story. It's a crazy story. But I have to tell you, I watched Timothy Leary speak for an hour, and I walked out of it thinking, this guy is a banana head. I, I, I was very unimpressed with him. I thought he was just incredibly unfocused. He read a single word he's ever written. 
I have. Yes, I have. And what do you think of that? Well, you know, there are moments of real insight surrounded by a lot of noise. The, the problem with his writings, I find, is that the signal-to-noise ratio is not very high, which is unfortunate because there are some moments of insight. I'm sure you would find a lot of people in this crowd that came to see the reanimation event uh, disagree with you. Okay. Uh, they were, uh, I think the highlight of this program was, uh, was Leary on the Wally George show. Surely you're familiar with Wally George. He was, I'm not. I think, or I, he's uh, actually Rebecca DeMornay's father, but he was a right-wing talk show guy in a local area of Los Angeles television for years and years. And one of the most obnoxious. And Leary was on there, and that particular segment just had people cutting up on the floor. Leary was a great, uh, nothing else, he was a great comedian, uh, particularly when he was in adversarial situations. But he is not really a hero of any ideological stripe. You know, leftists hate him as much as right-wingers do. Uh, it's kind of like the same thing with Sherman Skolnick, you know, because Sherman is, is not, you know, an anti-nuclear activist or a Democrat or uh, or anything, you know. Uh, it's his own his own person. And uh, Leary, I knew Leary for many years. And, in fact, the whole point of the reanimation event was that it's been 10 years since he died. And mm -hmm. like him or dislike him, I think you, you best, and he taught me this, actually, that you best understand your country by looking at its dissidents. The idea, and, and it seemed to me that, you know, here's this 10th anniversary of the importance of this passing of this, this friend of mine, the famous guy, and nobody was doing anything. Although I found out once I got to L.A. that there are six movie uh, biographies being made about Leary now. Six of them? Yeah, six different projects. I even met uh, George DiCaprio, Leonardo's father. Who's working His on father, it. sure. Yeah. Huh. And, uh, six six movies about Timothy Leary and not one yeah. about Nikola Tesla. Okay, I, I'll make believe I understand that. <laughs> it's like all right, and not, yeah, right, and not one, and not one about Wilhelm Reich either. Well, there, yeah. oh man! But of course, you know, six movies in development in Hollywood is like you know. Yeah, if um, one gets made, it'll be a lot. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. But uh, you know, that was the whole point and purpose of that, and it actually, uh, it went off pretty well. I think I served uh, served Leary's memory well. Well, we're so did one does get made. <laughs> yeah, well, you know. Actually, who cares? Uh, Hollywood, are any movies any good anymore? And not really. I, mm. that's, that's why I'm not anxious to go see Da Vinci Code. I remember yeah. there was, at one time, there was, uh, Nick Nolte was in a movie biography of Jack Kerouac called Heartbeat. And Allen Ginsberg would not associate himself with it. He sued them to make sure, he was called Ira mm -hmm. Make sure they didn't use his name. And Leary, I was talking to Leary at the time, and he said, you know, he's trying to tell uh, Ginsburg, chill out. It's a Hollywood movie. Of course it's an exaggeration. Of course it's larger right. than mine. Of course it's a distortion. That's what they do. So you got six movies. Uh, you know, half of them are going to, you know, create Tim Leary as the big drug demon who destroyed America by introducing his youth to LSD. Ah. And there'll be another half that says, oh, you know, like the Patty Chayefsky movie. Wow, what an interesting, brilliant scientific man, you know. And yeah. when he was dying, Leary was saying the same thing. You get the Timothy Leary you deserve, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you know what would really stop some of the speculation and some of these conspiracies and power politics is for the UFOs, if they're real, to land and say, here we are now. Go ahead and tell us we don't exist. It's been going on. There's no, there's no reason. It's not going to happen. It, 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 I believe these things are real. Uh, but, you know, the question is, what benefit would they possibly have from doing this? I, there is none. So it's not going to happen, Gene. 
the benefit comes from concealing it. Exactly. I mean, exactly. The, certainly, the elites of the world understood that the world was round before Columbus sailed the ocean blue. You know, but they kept it a secret because they didn't want their enemies to kind of sneak up to them from behind. <laughs> I agree with you completely, Ken. That it, there, there's so much. It's the same reason that you know drugs are still illegal. It's because there's so much money being made under the table that there's no incentive to make to to be progressive and intelligent about drug policies and i think that that model extends into other realms as well and it clearly extends into the paranormal well, there's just no reason let's look at that for a moment here and that is okay folks we run into a situation where for whatever reason they try or finally agree to say okay folks for we don't know how many years we have been visited by craft that's possibly comes from another planet or we can add to that we can tell you now that it appears that the kennedy assassination was indeed some sort of conspiracy although some people have already acknowledged that whatever what are people to think about this do you think they'll just say well you know what's really bad is the price of gas and all those illegal immigrants who are not from other worlds why do we care about this what do you think they're going to say if they were told this is all true come on are are we that empty are we that absolutely devoid of any kind of spiritual being that we would do you really believe that gene i mean ken what do you think you think people would respond that way you think that they would demand that the aliens actually uh, register with the immigration authorities (laughs) talk about illegal aliens (laughs) Jesus. I can't say Jesus anymore either because that's BS. Oh, man. <laughs> or one or, or what of what the other propositions that uh, you, I think we might have talked about this before is Vannevar Bush, the guy that uh, one of the uh, MJ 12 uh, signatory people wrote an essay shortly after the Roswell crash in which he envisioned all the PC technology that we The Memex. Absolutely. Yeah. How we think is uh, how we think. Yeah. As we may think, that's what it was called. As we may think, that's right. Yeah, and, you know, the idea that an actual craft landing and creatures walking out is, you know, nothing compared to the fact that almost all of the technology that we use every day might be back-engineered from some alien civilization, you know, precisely designed to create a culture that will eventually become spacefaring and be kind of integrated into its machines in the same way many of us are integrated into the cybernetic world every day. You know, are we the aliens, you know? It's entirely possible. What I said on the show before, Ken, is that um, even the, the, the thing that I saw with my brother and all these other hundreds or thousands of people, I'm not willing to commit to the notion that it was from another planet. I, I'm, I'm open to it possibly being A, an interdimensional craft, B, a craft from the future, as well as possibly C, something from another planet. I won't say with any degree of certainty that it was one of those three. I don't know. Well, you know, certainly I couldn't say anything that I saw that I know what it is. My God, I right. feel <laughs> that's a really example. But I know what it isn't. You know, it's not a conventional right. craft in any way, shape, or form of anything that I've ever seen, known, studied, encountered. You are about to enter another dimension. A dimension not only of sight and sound, but of mind. A journey into a sinister land of secret rites, passwords, initiations, and handshakes, where the truth remains hidden and history is controlled by an elite group of mysterious men. 
Imagine, if you will, that I'm holding a book in my hands that explains this secret history and that the name of this book is Conspiracies and Secret Societies, The Complete Dossier. Here is described centuries of dark dealing, lies, murder, mayhem, and cover-ups in the pursuit of unimaginable money and power. My name is Brad Steiger, and the stories you are about to read may have actually happened at the signpost up ahead. Your next stop, Conspiracies and Secret Societies, The Complete Dossier. You've entered another dimension. You've entered the Paracast. so much we don't know and that's why we're here on the paracast isn't that so gene it is indeed and with gene steinberg and david vietney and we're talking for just a few more moments with kenneth thomas ken before we let you go and we ask one or two final questions tell us how does one get steam shovel press and what new books are being released one gets steam shovel press through patience <laughs> Uh, I produce maybe an issue a year, and I'm overdue for this this issue. Sometimes I can get you know up to three issues out, and I sell subscriptions four issues at a time, or you can get a single issue for like seven dollars. And uh, that's at Post Office Box 210, St. Louis, Missouri 63121, or you can get all this information through SteamShovelPress.com. Indeed. Uh, yeah. So so theoretically, I'm in the production of a new issue right now, though just at the beginning of that. Theoretically. And, uh, theoretically. And I have two books in the pipeline, one of which should be out by now since I've done lectures now in Chicago and L.A. to promote it. It's a book called Parapolitics, uh, Conspiracy in Contemporary America. And that's got a lot of cool things in it, including a, a comic section, the graphic novel version of 9-11. And mm. So uh, my publisher on that, David Childress, Adventures Unlimited Press, uh, assures me that it will be out by the end of the month, but we're getting close to the end of the month, and I haven't seen it yet. But uh, it will be out. It's in the pipeline. The other book, uh, next year, probably, almost certainly, will be published by Reader's Digest, and it's going to be a big coffee table thing. They want to call it Conspiracy Files. I'm trying to change that, uh, but it would be, you know, it's much more of a kind of a mainstream introduction into the whole world of uh, conspiracies. But that, that'll be out, like, not this summer, but next. By Reader's Digest. Fascinating. Reader's Digest, yeah. That's point of purchase sales at the supermarkets, man. I'm mainstreaming. That's a good thing. <laughs> Hopefully that'll work out great. Have they been good to deal with? Uh, I'm just curious. What, Reader's Digest? Yeah. No, they've actually rejected the manuscript once. Uh, I, I'm working with an intermediary group that packages the books for them, and uh, I wrote this whole book. I sent it to them. They said it was too academic. So what does that tell you about the Reader's Digest? They oh, boy. They wanted something more sensationalistic. Yeah, yeah. So oh. they're reworking it. Uh, you know, it's going to go through some more edits. I'm going to you know, make sure that there's nothing untrue in it. I wouldn't commend it to the hardcore people, you know. But, right. Uh, like I said, it's a, it's a way to get my message out to a broader audience. And, right. What I really hope to do is to convince some publisher in bringing out a new edition of Maury Island UFO, 
because now it's really gone into the realm of the collector world where you can't get a copy for less than $100. And Octopus was like that for many years. I didn't own a copy because I couldn't afford one, my own book. You know? And then a new edition of the Octopus came out, and, 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 and you know the, uh, the value of it on the collector's market went down. But that's, there's so much information and so much updating I'd like to do to that, uh, that book that I hope to convince the publisher to take it on. Do you own the copyright to that book? Oh, yes, absolutely. The, uh, the original publisher actually died uh, under mysterious circumstances. He was a close friend of Jim Keith, hmm. a guy named Don Bonds. Illuminate was a really big press, really for the underground press. Think ebook, young man. Think ebook. Ah, uh, yeah, for, yeah, the print on demand thing. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, uh, you should think that very seriously. Think about it. Okay. <laughs> we'll talk about it offline. Anyway. Okay. Lots of potential, you know, publishers. There's the, the whole next show, The Conspiracy of Book Publishers, <laughs> and why they, for the most part, suck, and why we don't need them anymore. But that's another show, isn't it, Gene? Indeed, and we have to thank Ken Thomas, publisher of Steam Shuffle Press at steamshufflepress.com, for joining us on this episode of the Paracast. Ken, thanks for joining us. Thank you guys for having me on. I'd be happy to uh, come on anytime uh, our schedules can match and with Excellent. the technology that's working. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Ken. All right. You're in the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Biedney. You never know what's going to happen next. She came to Earth to conquer our planet. He traveled to the future to conquer her heart. Experience the adventure of a lifetime. Attack, Attack of the, the Rockoids. The critics are raving about Attack of the Rockoids. One reviewer writes, The father and son writing team of Gene and Grayson Steinberg have written a marvelous, fast-paced story of interstellar warfare and star-crossed love. The battle scenes are so descriptive you can see the spaceships explode and be consumed by gigantic balls of flame. I enjoyed this story and the authors say there is more to come about the characters and the future world of the Rockoids. Fans of Star Wars and Star Trek will enjoy this story and look forward to many more adventures of Ray and Xanther. That's Attack of the Rockoids. Order your copy direct from Amazon Books or check out a sample chapter and get a special discount on your copy direct from www.rockoids.com. That's www.rockoids.com. Attack of the Rockoids in the grand and science fiction tradition. You know, what Ken has to say stands or falls on the merits of the case, what he said during the past 75 or 80 minutes. And it's amazing we got the thing to work after all that. But I want to talk about last week's show with Sean David Morton. Oh, God. Don't bring this up. But go ahead. All right. Because okay. We've, we've discovered lots since then, Gene. But, yeah, okay, go ahead. All right. Let me just show something that came into our forums. We have yeah. message boards over at the Paracast.com, our website, and you're invited to participate. And we got this one comment on the May 23rd show, and it says, I really like this podcast, but Mr. Morton was a bit hard to swallow. <laughs> so Bush wants to bring about Armageddon so Jesus can return? And this yeah. is why the people elected him? And I uh, got right. to hand it to the host who just sat there ooing and eyeing at everything Mr. Morton said without so much as a word of challenge. I mean, first we talk about not trusting the mainstream media, and then we turn around and talk about the president's poll numbers that are supplied to us by the mainstream media. 
Mr. Morton said he made all these predictions about the 2000 election, the war in Iraq, etc., but nowhere did anyone ask for documentation. Where can we find these predictions in print (laughs) or having been broadcast prior to their happening? He said that he has first-hand information the Bush was ready to go to war with Iran, that we had battle cruisers and subs lined up waiting for the order, but the generals all said no. Who are his sources? Who gave him this info? Give me names, please. Did he simply remote view all of this intelligence? Oh, boy. I thought it was great that the only challenge to Mr. Morton's credibility came when he started talking about how the new Macs were spying on people. Bring back Stanton Friedman. He backs up what he says. Anyway, that's my rant for now. Keep the show going. I'll be here. And then his mea culpa. At the end, the P.S., I was listening to the show at work. It didn't quite get to the end. I guess the host did have a few problems with Mr. Morton. I hang my head in shame. A few? (laughs) A few? I mean, we couldn't get any words in with this guy. He was just, yeah, we did. No, I'm definitely guilty of saying, you know, Gene, this is like the most interesting guy we've ever had on. He was, was but it doesn't mean that everything he said was true. Well, it means that essentially in the end, what we've since discovered is that, you know, nothing he said was true. Uh, Sean David Morton turns out is a is a world class lunatic, and uh, <laughs> well, uh, there I've said it, and if he wants to contest that, fine. I talked at the end about how the UFO photos on his website were bogus, um, you know, and since that show has aired, we've discovered other things, uh, some of which we probably don't even want to mention on the air. But the bottom line is that, uh, yeah, this guy is essentially a nutcase, and it's unfortunate because, like I've said too many times, Gene. I'm really interested in arriving at some truths about some of these things we talk about. Certainly, I'm really interested to know the truth of of UFOs, or as much of the truth as we can figure out or even comprehend. And people like Sean David Morton do a disservice to this field. They're charlatans. Um, A guy like him, he just basically lowers the whole playing field for all of us. And in that sense... I resent what he's doing. And there, I've said it. I don't like the guy now. He was an entertaining guest. He speaks real well. But in the end, he's you know full of crap. In the end, he was unable to prove anything. And he makes yeah. lots and lots of wild claims that supposedly he knew and worked with the late Gene Roddenberry, oh, the creator of Star Trek. And everybody from Roddenberry's daughter to his wife to assistants that work with Roddenberry said... He never worked with anyone named Sean David Morton, even Sean David Morton's parents, even his parents disavowing things that this guy says. You know, maybe that's the thing here. Maybe Sean David Morton was remote viewing the show with Ken Thomas. (laughs) He's the one that screwed up uh, Skype for us. Is he that powerful, you think? I don't know. That's a good question. If this show never makes it to the air... Then we'll know, oh, well, of course, this show could make it to the air, Gene, but, you know, based on SaveLivesInMay.com, I'm not making this up, Gene, go to SaveLivesInMay.com, turns out there's this wacky Frenchman, Eric Julien, who basically has been receiving um, uh, telepathic communications from our alien friends, telling him that uh, tonight, Gene... Uh, we, actually, you and I are recording this on May 25th, this little piece right now. I've, I've said a date, because supposedly tonight, a cometary fragment, chunk of a comet, is going to hit the Atlantic Ocean and trigger a massive tsunami. So by this time tomorrow, by uh, by this guy's reckoning, 
uh, I will be dead, along with millions of other people on the East Coast of the United States, um, and I presume millions of people uh, in Europe. We're all going to be dead this time tomorrow. So, so what that nice means that. is that this show may never air. Well, this show may air, but I'll be dead. It depends on where the servers are, Gene. If, if the ser- as long as our servers are not on the eastern coast of the United States, uh, the show should be fine, but I'll be gone. Actually, Which, the servers are located in the Midwest and in the Southwest. There you go. So uh, uh, I guess uh, the show is safe, and our next show I will be doing from the afterlife. Well, that will prove there is an afterlife, by the way. We are going to remote view David Biedney on our next episode of the Paracast, by the way. Speaking seriously, very seriously, about what Ken Thomas said about all these various conspiracies, all the crazy things that are going on, that Kennedy was assassinated because of a deal over an aircraft? I don't know that it would have been that one thing. I think that there were a lot of people that were gunning for the guy. And uh, I think that um, maybe in our lifetime, Gene, though I I doubt you and I will live to see this ultimately, I think a lot of the truths are going to come out. And uh, it's going to show that um, the 60s, in many ways, were really the beginning of the downfall of the American empire, the downfall that's becoming so obvious to many of us now. Uh, You know, we we are an empire in decline. And I think a lot of it started back in the 60s. I think that Kennedy's assassination was uh, was a real clear indicator of that. So was it a single airplane deal? Was it, um, you know, was it Cuban operatives? Was it the mafia? You know, who, who was really behind this? Well, ultimately, I'll tell you who probably knew. Um, I'm willing to guess that uh, J. Edgar Hoover knew who the perpetrators were. You know, we have to speak with, um, with Ken about J. Edgar Hoover on, on the next time we have him on because... I've always really believed that in the 20th century, if we have to look at the person who was the most powerful person in the United States, in the political realm, to me there's no question that that person was J. Edgar Hoover. And Hoover had a lot of the keys to a lot of this. And uh, and this is how he was able to have the power he had. He he knew where all the skeletons were buried. He had buried a bunch of them himself. And so um, in the end... He could hold sway over many presidents because of the fact that nobody wanted to cross the guy. So, unfortunately, I really think that the truth might have died with Hoover. What do you think? Well, the one thing is that the FBI was never the same after his death. Mm -hmm. The FBI was regarded as this ultra-efficient criminal investigative organization, and they made movies about it. TV shows. But after his death, the agency seemed to lose its direction, seemed to fall apart. It's like, for example, if Apple Computer loses Steve Jobs, well, they lose their direction. J. Edgar Hoover ruled that that agency with an iron fist. Absolutely. And his personality, the sheer force of will, kept it going, even though he worked there probably long after someone would have retired. Mm-hmm. to better or other things. It was his whole life, man. That, that, that organization, he, he really was the FBI. But again, um, he also was the behind-the-scenes player, the primary behind-the-scenes player in American politics for, what, close to 50 years. Uh, who, who else has been able to hold that kind of power in the United States, Gene? Presidents come and go. Administrations come and go. You know, uh, hey, look, let's go one step further. Who potentially held the keys to understanding the reality behind things like the Roswell crash, 
the whole UFO phenomenon in terms of what our government has uncovered, whatever that body of information is, probably the one guy that could get to it was Hoover. He could open any door, man. And, and, you know, and again, presidents wouldn't go up against him because he, he had the, the goods on everybody. He knew where the bodies were buried. He knew about the scandals. The thing is, after his death, who is the keeper? No. Who is the gatekeeper? We'll have to explore that on future episodes of the, ask Ken about that. Of the Paracast. <laughs> the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Biedney is a production of Making the Impossible Incorporated. Join us next week for a new adventure in the Paracast.